0: Howdy and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne. Happy new year. Today, we're gonna talk about training your dog with food because I think there are some misconceptions out there about how to train with food. I also think there are folks who think that once you start training with food, you are stuck for the rest of your life wearing a treat pouch and others who maybe tried training with food but they said their dogs aren't interested in food. So this is gonna be kind of a troubleshooting and big picture type of deal where we explore kind of everything about training with food. So the first thing to understand is dogs need food. (laughs) We We all need food. So when you say your dog's not food motivated, what you're kind of really saying is your dog's not work motivated or they're overfed or they don't understand how to take food from you. So we're going to explore that as a piece of the puzzle. And we're also, like I said, we're going to talk about whether or not you have to keep food on you for life. And I think that's a, a good question. And I think that the answer is varied. You know, one of those horrible answers that no one likes. It depends. First off, taking food from the hand and taking food because you did a behavior can be trained for dogs who automatically don't start with that mindset so when I start with a puppy the very first thing I'll do with a young dog is sit on the floor with their bowl of kibble and ask for behaviors and the behaviors can be something as simple as existing in my space it just depends on the puppy some puppies might wander off constantly and so in those dogs cases all I want them to do is stick around so I'll mark yes for sticking around and feed them. If they are all about work, which, you know, I own Border Collies and that tends to be the the breed trait, then I'll put them to work. You know, I'll start training sits or I'll start training downs or I'll start working with platforms and free shaping. It just depends on the dog. If I have an older dog, and this is much more common with older adopted rescue type dogs, where you take out your food and the dog maybe takes one and then wanders off. You've got to explore that and look a little more in depth at that. And obviously, coming from the veterinary beh- uh, veterinary background, the first thing I'm always going to say is if your dog is truly off food, as in they aren't eating their regular diet and they're losing weight, those two must be in conjunction. If they're not eating their food, they leave food in the bowl every single day, but they're not losing weight, that just tells you you're overfeeding your dog. If your dog leaves food in the bowl every day and they're becoming slender or too skinny, that's a veterinary thing. You've got to address that before you do anything else. Most dogs who used to visit us in the veterinary hospital for not eating, quote unquote, were pretty much morbidly obese. And the owners had kept feeding these poor dogs more and more. And now they were sitting in front of their dogs with chicken cutlets and steak tartare and saying, well, now he only eats these things. And unfortunately for these owners, because they never wanted to hear it, the answer really was put the food dish down, wait 15 minutes, anything that's not eaten, you pick up, and your dog needs to go on a massive diet. Your dog's trying to keep you from killing it. So your dog will take food because your dog must take food to survive. Having said that, the barrier to getting that food for, say, a rescue dog needs to be appropriate for that dog's mental state and where they are in their lives. So let's say we have a well-adjusted dog, maybe one, two years old, that you just got from animal control or wherever, and the dog is just kind of like meh on food. You know, you hand it a kibble and it wanders off. Well, it may have never learned to take food from your hand. That could be completely alien to it. So the place I would start with a dog like that is I'd sit down with their food dish And simply ask the dog to stick around and focus. I mean, not even focus on me, just focus on the idea of consuming food from my hand. That might be where I start. Can you do this thing and continue to do it? That's where I, you need to start there if you want to work with food. Because if your dog won't take food, if you're constantly shoving the food in the dog's face, that's not a reward. (laughs) The definition of reward-based training is the dog has to want what you've got. If you are trying to ask me to do a behavior and you're trying to feed me with lima beans, I ain't going to work for you. Ain't going to happen. Lima beans are disgusting. I don't know who invented them, but they're evil. So there's no way on earth I will find that rewarding. And you can say, well, food is rewarding. And I'd say, well, not what you're feeding me. Or if I'm already full. And you're like, oh, no, no. Let me eat, let me give you some more. I, I'm full. I don't want it any more. It's no longer rewarding. The idea that food is always rewarding is true for many dogs. And actually there is a genetic component in Labrador retrievers. This is kind of interesting. In some lines of Labrador retrievers, there's actually a genetic component that keeps them from, re- from reaching, sa- uh, I can never say this word, satiation, uh, which means they're never full. And it's actually a genetic thing that we put into accidentally probably. Well, I know it was accidental because they discovered after the fact into some laboratory retriever lines. And what they found, which is interesting, is that those dogs with that genetic marker are better seeing eye dogs because they constantly are working for food because they are constantly hungry. So having, having said that, for most of us, our dogs are, are kind of always on the brink of starvation, according to them. But for others, food really is hit or miss. My livestock guardian dog, Billy the Kid, when you put down her food, A, she always looks to make sure that you really don't mean to feed her something better and that it was a mistake to just feed her kibble. After she establishes that that's all she's getting, she may or may not deign to eat it. She may or may not make a huge project out of it. We've talked about that before on the podcast. She You know, she's just not a big food dog. Does that mean she cannot work for food? Absolutely not. It means that it's much harder. So going back to our adopted dog. Now, what happens if the dog that you just adopted is super fearful? Um, Kind of the dog who hides in the corner, doesn't come out. It is not fair in that moment to take that dog and say, I want you to come to me and be hand-fed food. That might be way above that dog's pay grade. And it might be unfair, and it might put the dog in a decision-making process where they feel they have to choose between death from starvation or death from the monster in the room, which is you. Uh, sorry about the weird snorting noises in the background. For whatever reason, Cody's flailing around the floor like a maniac. So anyway, so we have to lower the bar for a dog who's exceptionally fearful or has other behavioral issues like that. And in those dogs' cases, it might simply be that you put the food on the bowl and you exist in the same room or you exist in the world or or wherever. And obviously, if you have that kind of a dog, you hopefully are working with a professional. Let's discuss a dog who might take food for a couple of seconds and then move on. You know, they they walk away. What you do and how you handle that depends on your goals. If your goals are very basic, I want my dog to sit eventually. I want my dog to come when called. I just want the basics on my dog. I just want kind of normal pet behaviors from my dog. Oh my God, now Cody is squeaking a toy behind me. (sighs) She's never satisfied. Anyway, uh, if that's your goal, if those are your goals and they're pretty low, hold on one second, let me go get Cody. Okay, sorry about that. Cody has been sent upstairs with a chew stick. Anyway, so let's assume that you just want to do basic behaviors with your dog. The very simple answer is feed the dog for the two or three seconds or the 15 or 16 kibbles or whatever it is that you can get their behaviors and then stop. Um, You're not trying to get this dog to the Olympics. You're not trying to get this dog to the championship ring of obedience. You are simply trying to get very basic behaviors on your dog. So work within the parameters that the dog gives you if that's what you have to work with. And again, we can always talk about raising the quality or the the value of the food that you're giving. You know, going from kibble to high-quality dog treats to dried, freeze-dried something stinky all the way up to, say, steak. But if in all of those circumstances, a dog is still in the boat of I will take one or two and then I'm out, then you work with that because that's that's fine for what your goals are. If on the other hand, you have bigger goals. Um, So example would be Matilda, who we've talked about in this podcast before, who really, really struggles with focus and kind of paying attention and and food is not her primary motivator. I mean, she will absolutely work for it, but then she forgets what she's doing and, you know, wanders off. In her case, I have bigger goals for her than simply sitting down, because there's no way that dog could survive in the world with such a a minor amount of training. That's a dog who absolutely demands to be trained. She needs something, multiple somethings in her life to feel quote unquote fulfilled. But at the same time, she needs to have a drive for food. And right now her food, her drive is very scattered and or play driven with other dogs or toys. Now we could work with the other toys or work with toys, obviously as a reward based system, but oftentimes for dogs like Matilda, that's incredibly difficult to do because they're so over the top and you can't get the reps. It, it, you can get 15 reps in with treats really quickly, whereas with the tug toy, you get in one rep. And, you know, so the, it just it just takes training a whole lot longer. There's great places for toys, but I don't think training the basics is a good place for that. So we definitely want her to be food motivated. I'm also starting to train her in tracking. And the way you start with tracking is you place what they call a scent pad, which is you stepping on a piece of grass or ground with your feet, stomp, 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 stomp. And then you throw a handful of kibble in that. And the dog comes and they associate the smell of your stomping your feet with kibble. And then you turn that into a track and you put kibble in every footstep, blah, blah, blah keep going, keep going, keep going. In order for that to be workable, the dog has to keep their nose down and keep looking, searching, caring about the food. So in her case, we are actually putting her in a state of you either work for the food or you just don't get it. Now that can become an ethical dilemma for some and some folks are not comfortable with that and that's that's fine to each their own. I will tell you in her case, I'm not worried about it because the choice is either pick food up off the ground, which is a very, very simple behavior, or don't. And if she chooses not to, that tells me the food on the ground is not high enough value for her to stay engaged. I'm not not feeding her. I have fat her. She's made a choice to not eat that food. I'm not placing my scent pads in the middle of Disneyland. I'm placing them in my front yard or my backyard and no other dogs are around because they would come and steal it all anyway. So I'm setting up a situation that creates success as best I can and if under those circumstances she is still not achieving what I want her to achieve then I have no issues with saying that'll do and taking her away from the food and putting her up for an hour or two hours and then asking her for the same behavior again. So To each their own is kind of my opinion, and again, it depends on your goals with your dog when it comes to dogs who are not necessarily massively food-motivated. So Billy the Kid is, like we talked about, a great example. You can get maybe four behaviors out of Billy before she decides that whatever you're feeding her is below her notice. Well, four behaviors is fine. She's a livestock guardian dog. She has sit, she has melt into a puddle, she has kind of walk on a leash, and she has a recall. I was able to do that both with multiple reinforcing situations, so food as well as petting, as cuddling, whatever, because play is not her jam. I used multiple reward strategies for her, and we will get into multiple reward strategies at a different point, but today I just really want to focus on food, but always keep in mind that you don't have to reward with food. You have other options available, but the dog must find it rewarding enough to continue doing the behavior. If you're like, Oh, i just pet my dog and he does what I ask. Either you have a very unique and interesting dog, or you're asking very little of your dog, or you are actually using other methods. So just be aware of that. Food is very valuable for most dogs. And so that's the simplest low hanging fruit for most trainers. I mean, it's it's the reasonable place to start. So, we kind of visited the dogs who won't take food and how to train that to start with for a dog who maybe doesn't know, understand how to, how to take food for the rest of us, right? So now you start down and you, you're training your dog with food. Where do you go from there? Well, the, the first thing I'm going to say, there are multiple ways to make food delivery, relevant to our dog. One of the things that folks run into when it comes to training with food is that the food may not of itself be interesting enough for certain types of dog to really build the kind of enthusiasm that we really want to see in training. I mean they'll take it but they're not going to really get excited about it. But food is an amazingly fluid object in that we can make it perform in multiple ways. By that I mean, most people, when you think of giving dogs food, you have it in your hand and you hand it to the dog. Well, that's pretty boring. Uh, That doesn't take any thought process on the dog. We call that room service and it's pretty straightforward. You can also throw the food away from you and have the dog go run and get it. That adds a component of chase which many dogs find very rewarding. I actually am really a big fan of throwing food directly into my dog's mouth, so kind of a big arcing loop, and they catch it out of the mouth, which or with their mouth, which means that they're really having to focus on me, really having to focus on where the food is coming from, and that helps with getting a lot of intensity, especially for things like heel work, where I really want my dog staring at me and really intense and actively engaged in the game. And so if I mark yes, they need to really pay attention because that food is coming. And if I'm even more stealthy and don't always mark yes, simply deliver the food without a marker first, they're gonna be constantly watching kind of the way you'd be watching the, the cylinders in a slot machine to see if you win. It's the same thing. There are going to be, she wants, my dogs want to watch my hands, watch my face to see if I'm about to fling a, a treat into the air. Now that comes with some negatives. The first is that if you accidentally go from that to hand delivery without kind of warning your dog, your dog can snap at your hand because they're expecting the treat to come flying at them and instead it's just being hand delivered. So they can be a little snappy. So just watch your fingers under the circumstances, make sure you're very clear on how and when the food will be delivered to your dog so your dog's not guessing. Uh, the other option obviously is dropped food. Uh, Tag is really bad about leaping up and grabbing it with her, the top of her mouth and kind of flinging it out. And that means that there will be times when you are wasting time with a dog looking for food and grass or something along those lines. So treat delivery does play an important role in how we want to deliver the food and how we want the behavior to look. If I want the behavior to be hyper-focused on me, then I'm gonna try to deliver the food directly from my hand. If I want my dogs to be focused on an other, in another direction, then it's ideal if the food is delivered from there. Again, we're talking about like the scent pad situation where I'm teaching my dogs to look at the ground, look away from me, focus on the ground and, and use their noses to find a hidden person. I need them really focused on the ground. I'm not going to deliver the food from my hand. That that would create the wrong look for my dog and cause confusion and really make a mess of my training. So if you want your dog to behave in a certain manner, you can absolutely deliver food in such a way that it creates that enthusiasm and or energy or lack thereof. If you want a calm behavior like a sit, maybe throwing the food as a reward afterwards might not be productive. But if you want a really, really, really powerful stay, having your dog stay and then throwing the food away and having them go get it as a reward really raises the dopamine and makes the dog hyper vigilant, hyper excited in that waiting mode where they're 100% keen on listening for that release cue so they can go sprint and get the thing. So really now, now Tag has a squeak toy. I will take it away. She handed it to me. How convenient for me. So anyway, Oh, and I have a whole tag. So, anyway, that's how food delivery or reward delivery matters. Now, the next thing is, is are you going to be walking around with a treat pouch for the rest of your life? Nope. That's the first thing. Nope. No, you will not. Unless, big caveat, unless you're going to be training new things for the rest of your life. Anytime I train a new thing, yeah, I go right back to feeding. I feed once per behavior. So, if I say sit, I treat sit. I don't, as a rule, if I'm training something new, want to treat A second behavior and people do get into a little bit trouble with that. We'll visit that a little later, but treat once per behavior. So sit, treat, sit, treat, sit, treat. You start off with that until they understand the word sit. Once they understand the word sit, either the hand signal or the word, whichever you're using or both, then you treat every third or fourth randomly. That's you're starting to fade your reward system and you are actually building The value of the rewards it seems illogical but this is about gambling and the dopamine mental system in our brains dopamine is kind of the addiction chemical and the way that works hold on now tag is messing with her bowl what is with these dogs today hold on one second let me go get her honestly these dogs sleep 90 percent of the time but they hear me talking randomly to a computer and it freaks them out and now they start doing weird things anyway sorry about that so Using an intermittent reward schedule is actually more powerful than feeding every time. And the way that works, if you think about it, is no one sells lottery tickets where you buy a lottery for a dollar and you win a lottery back, or a dollar back. Where the lottery succeeds is where you put in a dollar and you have a one in a gazillion chance of winning a gazillion dollars. Uh, those sell really, really well. And that's that dopaminergic system in the brain, which feeds the desire to gamble. effectively what it is and the same system works in all to our knowledge all mammalian brains and that makes intermittent reward systems far more powerful than a, a steady reward system so once I've gone to an intermittent reward system this is where people can get in trouble and so I want to kind of go into the little bit of the the details about this the first is The very first thing I do when I start going to an intermittent reward system is I remove the food from my body. I don't have it in my hand. I don't have it on my person. Because what people often fall into when it comes to this is the trap of showing the dog the food first or indicating to the dog somehow that they have the food and then asking for the behavior. And what happens under those circumstances is the dog recognizes the difference between has food and will get a reward and has no food and will not get a reward. Dogs aren't stupid. And then you get people, then you get dogs who only work when their owners have food. And then they come to me and say, he only works when they have food. And I'm like, well, because you keep showing him that you have food. You're better off putting the food dish up someplace else, asking for that behavior, maybe asking for a second behavior, because once you're down to an intermittent reward system, now you can start stacking those behaviors and rewarding randomly. Reward a couple or... Ask for a couple behaviors in a row. As long as they're clean and sharp, you're, you're on the right track. Mark yes, walk over, get the food out of the bowl. Reward like normal. The dog knows the food is available, but it's not on your person. You're no longer bribing your training. There's, there's a vast difference between those two things. The more that you work on separating yourself from the food, the better off you are. The less you are forced into a situation of having to go show the dog. I mean, we've all seen the person who asks for a recall by showing the dog the ball or showing the dog that they have a tug toy or any of those other things. Don't get into the habit of showing the dog what you've got any more than Las Vegas tapes dollar bills to the, the slot machines that pay. You, you shouldn't know which slot machine pays. That's the point of a random slot machine. You 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 sit down, and you play and play and play, and you lose and, lose and lose and lose and lose, and the person next to you walks up, sits down, and wins, you know, the car. That's the point of random. But what Las Vegas doesn't do is tell you that some machines will never pay. And that's what you do when you show the dog, oh, I have food now, and I will pay you, oh, I don't have food, and you'll never get food under these circumstances. The dog will never Never do the behavior under the circumstances the same way you would never pull the lever on a slot machine that you know isn't plugged in or has no money in it. That is where people really run into trouble with food and really, really struggle with it. And we talked about that a little bit and why uh, R plus training fails. So we did do a podcast that also discussed this a while back about when reward-based training doesn't work. And this is one of the big problems that we see with it is it kind of just a failure to understand that we need to get the food off of us right away. I always, once I have an intermittent reward system in place, I will always intermittently reward because again, I'm asking my dog to keep pulling the lever on the slot machine. And if the slot machine never pays, the dog will not be stupid. The dog will walk away. We don't want our dogs to learn to walk away because if something's not paid forever and ever and ever, now we're into an extinction situation and the dog is simply going to stop doing the behavior because it's not working anymore. So I do want to keep an intermittent reward system. Does that mean I carry a treat pouch on me all day? No, it does not. It means that there are only certain behaviors I ask for when I have food available. So I'm not going to go out in my front yard and ask my dog to heal if I have no way to pay my dog. I, don't, I just try not to set myself up for failure like that. Now, most people aren't going to ask their dogs to heal in the front yard anyway. But there are a lot of people who want to go for walks, ask their dog to heal and don't want to carry a treat pouch. And honestly, that, to be fair, is going to take a really, really long time to get done. For one thing, healing is an actually really high cost behavior for a dog. It's very costly. It takes a ton of con- concentration. It's it can be very boring for the dog. It can lack any intrinsic reward system in the behavior. Now, that. Those depend on how you train the healing and what it looks like in the end if you train a really flashy stylish bouncy happy heel then and there's a huge reward history behind it your dog may love doing healing period and therefore you might have a built-in reward system that might get you around the block and able to come home and and feed reward after the fact but if you've fed if you've kind of built in a kind of boring maybe used a little bit of correction base to get your heel work done, that heel, you'll never get around the block without some sort of reward system. It just ain't going to happen, not without years and years of practice. I mean, think of what it takes to get a dog into the obedience ring in AKC that isn't done. You're not seeing six-month-old puppies doing that, and the reason for that is you just can't be able to heal in that kind of time if you're using a reward-based system. So if we're using a reward-based system, we kind of need to keep delivering rewards. But the reward does not have to do food. And again, we did talk, we we are going to talk about that, is you can use other rewards. You can praise your dog. You can, I, I tickle tag. That's the big thing. I make this ridiculous Donald Duck sound and I make that sound and she gets all excited and she flops upside down and I tickle her. And that that's our thing. Cody jumps up on me. That's a reward for Cody. She comes up, she gets petted. She loves that. It's very rewarding. It's a very rare treat for her. That can also serve as a reward, but it must be rewarding for the dog. The definition of reward is it creates a situation where the behavior is more likely to happen. If you use your rewards over and over and over again and the dog's not doing the behavior more and more and more, what that tells you is that's not rewarding for the dog. You're feeding your dog lima beans and maybe they're taking them, but they're like, um, it's not worth doing anything for these. They're kind of gross, but I'm hungry. So we definitely have to make sure that our behavior, defi- the dog's behavior defines whether or not our systems are working. If they're not working, the dog will stop behaving. That's not the dog's fault. That's our system's fault. And we need to go back and fix the system. And I think that mindset, changing the way we think about that is really, really, really valuable because it takes the onus off the bad dog and puts the onus on our system's not paying enough. If If somebody finds out that one Las Vegas casino almost never pays at the slots, people will stop going to that casino. It's not that slot machines don't work. It's that those slot machines no longer pay. It's not worth it for people to go there. Okay, so you have behavior. You've gone to an intermittent reward reward system. Now what? What happens when there's still holes in the training? What happens when things don't go right? I'm going to talk about recall. This is something that Everybody struggles with, and there's a lot to it, but one of the things that I see a lot with folks who are struggling with recall is they try to double down. And what I mean by that is they will stand there to practice their recall, they'll call their dog, they'll have food on them, and they'll ask for a sit, and they'll pay the dog for a sit. Here's the problem with that. The dog did not get rewarded for coming. The dog got rewarded for sitting. And that might seem like a very small difference, but it's really not a small difference. It's a substantial difference. And that will slow your recalls down until the dog just kind of stops doing them. So do not ask for two behaviors at once if either behavior is not 100% trained. There's nothing wrong with, say, training a front, which a front is sitting in front of me. And that's a a behavior unto itself and then adding distance to it, which is exactly what the folks who are asking for recall and asking for a sit are looking for. They're just training it the opposite way. I want to recall the dog to come to me. I don't care what they do at the end. Just come to me. A front is a very formal position where you run to me and you sit in front of me. I train a recall by having the dog, wherever they are, come to me. Fluffy here and I pay them. I train a front by having the dog sit directly in front of me, really building that behavior, sit in front of me, pay, sit in front of me, pay, sit in front of me, pay. I back up, pay them, back up, pay them, back up, pay them. So they start coming towards me and understanding they only get paid when they're at my feet. And then I can add a stay, step back three steps and call front. And now I've got that whole picture. I'm not asking for two behaviors, I'm asking for one behavior. Deliver yourself to my feet, sit down. The behavior is sit at my feet. How they get there is on there. That's the recall. But it's not two behaviors. It's one behavior. The difference is vast for the dog. And it's really important that we understand that. And if our behaviors that we're getting from our dogs aren't perfect, don't get cheap with your reward systems. Don't have a half trained sit and a half trained down and try to do four of each before paying. You'll never get there. Your dog is going to wander off. You have to do a lot of behavior reward behavior reward behavior reward behavior behavior reward behavior reward behavior reward behavior behavior reward before you can do behavior 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 reward and even when you do things like behavior 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 reward it's a good idea to know what behaviors your dogs like best because then you can use the behavior that they prefer To semi-reward the behavior they don't prefer. So as an example, Tag loves down. She loves that behavior. It's her favorite. So if I'm not going to pay for, let's say, a down because she loves it. And I don't want to pay for the sit either. I'll ask for a sit. I'll reward the sit with a down. Then I'll ask for, say, a couple steps of heel. Then I'll reward the heel. So... That way, that behavior chain, that chain of behaviors, part of it is self-rewarding to the dog. She loves to go down. She actually really loves to heal too. So that's actually rewarding from the down. So if you build enough enthusiasm into all these behaviors, they actually become rewarding in and of themselves, if that makes some sense to somebody. Okay? What's really important to understand with food is that you have to train the behavior of taking food from your hand. You have to train for adult dogs who've never learned before. You have to train them the understanding that you have to do something in exchange for food. And at the beginning that something has to be breathtakingly easy. Pay attention to me, stay in the room with me, whatever. It has to be something they can succeed at. If you keep finding your dog is failing, that's a problem for you, not the dog once you're past that stage then anytime you train a behavior you're going to reward it every single time until your dog does it fluently and it's the behavior you want to see in the end so for me it's snappy happy and fun if it's not snappy happy fun then the behavior's not finished and i'm going to keep rewarding it until it's snappy happy fun once it's there once it's at that level then i can start intermittently rewarding, which will actually make, if I do it correctly, will actually make the behavior more snappy, happy, and fun, not flat, sad, and depressed. And I am hope I'm get paid, but I probably won't because this person's cheap. What you feed, what you choose to feed is up to you and your dog. Um, if you build enough food drive. You should be able to get away with just using their dog food. Or I I get different types of dog food because then it's just a little different flavor, but it's still dog food. And, and A, it's less expensive than going and buying treats when you have the number of dogs I train. And it's nutritionally complete, so I'm not as worried about, you know, feeding them junk food all day long. Not that I'm worried too much. I mean, it's not like they're hanging out and eating Snickers bars. But still, um, it can be a good way to go for feeding a multitude of dogs, obviously you can go buy the fancy soft dog treats. The big thing I'm going to tell you with that is make sure they're tiny. Don't use ginormous pieces of, of food. I like them to be about the size of my my pinky finger's uh, fingernail or my middle finger's fingernail for my 30-pound Border Collies. I don't want, or even my big livestock guardian dog. There's no reason for already whopping big chunks of steak. I mean, that's just a waste of of your reward system. You know, if you've got a big whopping piece of leftover steak, chop it into tiny little tiny cubes. And then instead of getting one big behavior, you can get a bunch of little behaviors. So anyway, I hope that gave you a little bit of an understanding of how food works and why food goes wrong and how to fix it when it does go wrong. Uh, Happy training, happy new year, and we'll see you later. Oh, if you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, do something else. We now have a Facebook page called Your Dog's Best Life. We will share photos on that page for especially the one from before we talked about our sheep getting loose. Um, We'll share some photos of that because that's kind of funny. But anyway, we'll share photos. Hopefully we'll get a conversation going. Anyway, thanks a lot. Have a good one and Happy New Year.